Well, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, so let's grab our Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you've hit Revelation, you have no idea where you are in the Bible. No, just kidding. And let's pick it up at verse 8, and we'll read through verse 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord said, or called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I heard a story of a pastor who was taking over a new church. And he wanted to introduce himself to his new congregation. So he decided to take the registry, the, the directory of the church, and make some one-on-one -on -one home visits. And as he was making his way through the list, he came to a home, and uh, he walked up to the door, he rang the doorbell, and nobody was answering. So he kind of peeked in and saw that the TV was on, and he, he heard stirring in the house, so he rang the bell again. But unfortunately, no one came to the door. So he decided to simply leave his business card on the door, and he wrote a verse on the back of it, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Well, the following Sunday came, and all of a sudden... One of the uh, elders of the church came up to the pastor after the church and gave the business card back to him. Apparently, somebody had found it at the door, uh, took it and brought it back to the church. And on the back of it was written another Bible verse. It was Genesis 3.10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. That really happened to me. No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. As you know, in the beginning portion of chapter 3, Adam and Eve succumb to the temptation of the serpent. They have fallen, and now God goes and seeks them out. Let's begin again in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the, the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. In our series, In His Image, we are looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis reminding ourselves what it means to have been created in the image of God. Here we see everything goes sideways by the time we get to chapter 3. And it isn't until Revelation 21 and 22 that everything is back to the manner in which God intended it to be. The rest of the Bible in between chapter 3 of Genesis and Revelation chapter 21 is God's redemptive plan unfolding where He reconciles all things, including creation, back to himself. But here, in the moment of the fall, realize that Adam and Eve now hide themselves. They hide themselves. And notice, if you will, that it is God who seeks them out. 
It is God who goes to them. It is God who initiates this uh, conversation. It is God who makes the attempt to reach Adam and Eve who have fallen. And he calls to them. Notice here in the title of my message. The title of my message is, Adam, where are you? As God simply calls to Adam and asks, where are you? Now, this is really important. This is really important. Hear me in what I'm about to say. How did God say, where are you? The very first time I ever heard this message preached, I heard it in a Baptist church. And the man who was there was from Kentucky. He was the guest speaker. And he, well, he had a little bit of fire and brimstone in him. And when he came to this passage of Scripture, he threw his hand down on the pulpit and he said, God came after Adam after the sin and said, Adam, where are you? It kind of colored the whole message afterwards. His interpretation of the tonality of God's voice shaped his understanding in the manner in which God went and sought after Adam and Eve. Now, there's nothing in Scripture that would indicate that God called to them in that way. I think more it was the tender voice of a loving father. God fully knew where Adam and Eve were, but wanted to draw out from them a confession of what had taken place that caused them to hide from his presence. If you're a parent, you know that often when you approach your child and you know that they've done something wrong, especially in our family, when something went wrong, being a parent of an only child, there wasn't many options. It was either Autumn or Dina, okay? Now, my, my discipline in parenting was very easy. I could just simply glance over at Autumn and she would normally just start crying after she had done something wrong. I'll never forget the time that she discovered that the walls of her uh, nursery, her bedroom, were white. And she, I think, equated that to a whiteboard. And she took her markers and began to graffiti the whole entire wall. And I'll never forget her standing in the hallway of our home after I saw what had happened. And I looked at her. This is a little tiny thing. I just looked at her. And I said, uh, anything you want to tell me? She goes, what? She was covered with marker from head to toe. I just wanted to draw her out. I just wanted to draw it out of her so she could, we could make it right. The next color we painted the room was a very dark purple, so it never would happen again. Okay. You know, this tone of voice also comes in the form of our texting. Remember when text was first introduced and we were all getting used to it? I'll never forget, you know, again, me being the awkward texter that I am. Texting one of my first texts, you know, and I think it was with Dean. I hope it was, or it was some other person. And I was texting her, and all of a sudden, I get this text back. Why are you yelling at me? Wait a minute, I'm texting. How can I be yelling at you? What well, was in all caps? All right? Didn't quite get the whole, you know, texting uh, etiquette at that point. Tonality is very important. And it is often interjected in verses when we have no authority to do so. 
Because was it an angry God who, were, who was seeking out those who had fallen, his creation that had fallen, Adam and Eve? Or was it a loving father simply calling them back and hoping that they would confess so he could make it right? And I believe the latter is the case. But Adam and Eve hid. Why did they hid? Notice with me here, it says very clearly, they hid because they were afraid because they were both naked. They were afraid and because they were both naked. Things had changed. They had, they had received the knowledge of good and evil. They realized that they were in a naked state before God. But notice with me the first emotion that is associated with fallen Adam and Eve. Have you ever noticed this before? What was the first emotion? The first emotion was fear. They were afraid. The very first emotion was fear. They were afraid because of the fact that they were naked. Fear is one of those elements that Satan often tries to use against us to keep us from fulfilling what God would have us to do. Fear can be an incredibly uh, manipulative weapon in the hands of our enemy. This is why the Bible has given us 365 verses that begin or include the term fear not. Fear not. If we are going to serve the Lord full on, if we are going to surrender all to Him, if we are going to fulfill His plan and purposes for our life, we cannot be afraid. And so God encourages us, strengthens us by hearing the words, Fear not. Let me give you my favorite. In Isaiah 41.10, Isaiah says, Fear not. This is God speaking. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Really? If we would just realize that that is true and that God is with us, and that we do not need to be dismayed, and that He will strengthen us, and that He will uphold us with His right hand. What do we have to be afraid of, right? Fear not, for I am with you. But it is God who seeks out His fallen creation. God is always the initiator of our salvation. In the New Testament, Luke writes to us in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is God who runs after us, the ones who have gone astray. Why? Because He loves us. And He comes after those who are His. Notice with me in John three sixteen through 18. Notice how John writes, he says, For God so loved the world that He gave, He initiated, He sent His only begotten Son, that whomever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of the Son. Notice with me. It is always God who initiates. It is God who comes after us. It is God who will leave the 99 and go after the one. 
It is God who will give up everything to find that pearl of great price. It is God who will give us all that we need to redeem us and to draw us back to Him. Notice what God says here with me in verse 11. And He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I have commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman whom you gave me, with me, she gave me the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let the blame game begin. Passing the buck. Passing the responsibility off. Notice here, as it went down from Adam. And notice that God held Adam accountable. Adam, I put you in charge of everything. What happened? Why have you done this? Oh, well, you know, God, it's the wife that you gave me. It was Eve. So really, God, if you look at it that way, it's really, well, it's your fault. You know, we often like to blame God for everything that goes wrong in our life. Unfortunately, when things go right, we often don't praise Him for those things. We're quick to blame, and we're slow to praise God for the things that He has done on our behalf. Of course, it wasn't God. It was their own desires that led them astray and allowed them to take of that fruit and eat, and now their eyes were opened. The deception was fully birthed within them, and now they were separated from God. But Eve, she then said, God, it was the serpent who deceived me. He told me one thing. He promised something that he could not perform. He gave me hope. He said I would be like you. And yet it was all a fallacy. It was all a non-reality. So the Lord, notice here, goes to the serpent so the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. The serpent was put in a place of complete and utter humiliation. He was the lowest now considered of all of the created things. And now we will discover that there is one more element to the curse in which God pronounces upon the serpent in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This means that God was going to bring contention between the serpent, who we know, of course, is the devil himself, and the offspring of Eve. Satan is not your friend. Satan is not your compadre. Satan has only one uh, objective when it comes to you, and that is to destroy you and to bring you down with him. All right? But God said, through your seed, Eve, there shall come one. It's in the individual. 
and he will bruise the head of the serpent with his heel. The word bruise there is very interesting. It means that Satan will be defeated through suffering. Meaning the one who is going to defeat Satan is the one, he will do so, I shall say, should say, through suffering. The one who is going to defeat Satan will do it through suffering. The one who is going to bruise his heel. As Isaiah said, the one who is bruised for our iniquity. Of course, we are talking none other than Jesus Christ himself. And when all looked upon him, when he hung there from the cross, they believed that Jesus was defeated. When in actuality, Jesus was now the victor. He had now defeated Satan himself. Not through his glorious uh, appearing, but through his suffering, just as the Bible predicted. As Jesus told his followers, as Satan is coming now after all mankind. In John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy, speaking of Satan. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. In 1 John 3.8, John goes on one step further to say that the works of the devil have come into the world, that is sin itself, but that Jesus Christ has come in to destroy the works of the devil. And Peter warned us in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober and be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking in whom he may devour. Satan is not your friend. Satan will lie to you. He will deceive you. And in the wake of that, destroy you. And that's what we see happening. We see lives being destroyed each and every day. For there is only truly two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of Satan. And the king of this world, the ruler of this world, who has been defeated through the sufferings of Christ, as he governs the world, he looks to destroy the world and all that are in it. He looks to destroy the seeds of Eve, each and every person that is born afterwards. As one wrote, the great commentator, Dr. William MacDonald, he said, The heel wounds here speaks of suffering and even physical death, but does not mean ultimate defeat. So Christ suffered on the cross and even died, but he rose from the dead victorious over sin, hell, and Satan. The fact that he is called the woman's seed may contain the suggestions of his virgin birth and ultimately that of his deity. But I want you to notice something before we go any further. Before we get on to Adam and Eve, and God will address them both, he already gives the uh, promise of the coming Messiah. Notice that. Before dealing with them and the consequences that they have now incurred due to the sin that they have committed, before he even gets to them, he already puts a manner in which they may be saved. That is a testimony to the grace of God. Yes, your sins have condemned you. If you die apart from me, you will spend an eternity in a place that I have created for the devil and his angels that we know as hell. But know this, that I have given Christ 
that whomever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God always gives us a means of escape or rescue. We just need to choose that in which he has given us. Notice then he comes to Eve here in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yeah, I know. As I saw my wife go through 31 hours of labor. It was really tough on me. It was really difficult. Does anybody have a spare room that I can come to after church today? As each child is brought into this world, it is a reminder that the child is brought into death. As the pain and suffering of labor and that of childbirth reminds each and every one of us that we are born, as Ecclesiastes would say, Solomon would say, we are born to die. Now that's not a very hopeful sentiment for this morning. But what is hopeful is the fact that God came, though even though we may die, we may still live in Christ. But not only that, because of the fall, tensions will occur between husband and wife. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That means that the woman will look to usurp the authority that God has given the man. And it's interesting what we see playing out in our country today. I, I think that we can say without any argument that masculinity is at an all-time low, isn't it? We have feminized everything. And now masculinity, masculinity is even objected to. But have you noticed that the, the, the movies and the television shows that are the most popular often show the most masculinity within them? Where women are now saying, you know, I want a man who's a man. I want somebody who's strong, who will love me, who will take care of me. And these aren't bad things. These desires that a woman may have certainly don't speak to any inferiority that she may have or think she may have or the world would impress upon her. It's not true. She's not inferior in any way, shape, or form. But there will be tension between husband and wife. There will be difficulty. As one scholar put it very eloquently, that marriage is often like a three-ring circus. There is the engagement ring. There is the wedding ring, and then there is suffering, okay? <laughs> All right, that's, that, that's the best I got here, guys. You got to work with me a little bit. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's just going to be a sign for me, homeless, right above me. You just never know what we're going to say here at Calvary, do you? In verse 17, notice with me. And then to Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall remain. Work was going to become difficult. Work is honorable in the Bible everywhere that it is mentioned. But here we see that it wasn't meant to be the task that it is today, the difficulty that it is today. We should be reminded of the fall each and every morning that our alarm goes off, right? We should be reminded that us getting up and going to work, all of this was due, and the difficulties that work brings about, and the resistance to the, to the cultivating of the soil, and the reality that we are mere dust, and it shall be dust that we shall return. Of course, this brings us into the book of Ecclesiastes, where he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. This is not the way God intended it to be. And that's why it is so difficult and work is such a toil in our modern day culture. But notice with me, I love what one wrote. The effects of sin are punishment and provision. Whereas the man and the woman had life, now they have death. Whereas they had pleasure, now pain. Whereas they had abundance, now a meager substance by toil. Whereas perfect fellowship, now alienation and conflict. Everything has changed. And notice with me what happens next, if you will. Let's bring it to verse 20. Let's bring it to verse 20. God did to that for them what they could not do for themselves. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of sin, a skin, and clothed them. This was the beginning of the revelation in the manner in which God would redeem and atone his fallen creation. Undoubtedly, as God prepared these skins, slaughtering two animals before Adam and Eve, they saw the necessity of the spilling of blood for the redemption of sin. And of course, as time went on, that would unfold and that would progress and then we would see ultimately fulfilled in and through the person of Jesus Christ. As one wrote, he said, then tunics of skin were provided by God through the death of an animal. This pictures the robes of righteousness, which is provided for guilty sinners through the shedded blood of the Lamb of God, made available to us on the basis of faith. Now remember earlier on, Adam and Eve tried to clothe themselves. They tried to hide their sin. They tried to atone for their sin. They tried to mask it through their own endeavors, which, were, which was impossible for them to do. So therefore, what was impossible for them... God made possible through him. Remember when Jesus was questioned about the rich young ruler, and when they found that he was not willing to follow after Christ, they asked the question, then who can be saved? 
And Jesus said to them, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Notice with me, as we walk through the Old Testament, as Abram took his son up to the mountain and was prepared to sacrifice his son. And as the son realized that he was the sacrifice that was about to be offered, submitted himself. And as Abraham took the knife and began to raise his hand, God interjected and said, Stop, for I shall provide myself a sacrifice. Through each and every atoning act of the Mosaic law, it was to be a reminder to the people that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And as they offered these animals one after another, in the New Testament, when they were bringing animals onto the temple, Jesus said, come to me, those who are burdened with heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Meaning what was difficult for you to bear, I will bear for you in and of myself. But then as Jesus is introduced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, there are three words that caused hell to shudder, that caused Satan to shrink, and they are found in John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Hell shook. Satan screamed at those words. I like what one wrote when he said, So when Christ finally arrived on the earth and the devil knew who he was, Satan thought, Don't send a demon out to do what only the devil can do. I will do it myself. And Satan took on Christ and tried to test him with the, with the best that he could offer. But he was rebuffed by the Lord through the scriptures. And God was victorious in and through Jesus Christ. And where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. But in verse 21, this is all foreseen now in and through the tunics of skin that were created and made for Adam and Eve. Notice with me verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Notice the plurality. As the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit stood there to know good and evil. And now, lest he be put his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, these are elite angels, guardians, at the east end of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, God knew that if Adam and Eve were to continue on in this state, they would live for an eternity in sin, death, and also suffering. So God spared them that and sent them out of the garden with death hanging from their shoulders. But it was going to be in due time that God's mercy would be unfold and that, and that the Father would reveal himself not through a wave of rushing uh, magnitude, but 
in the simplicity of a child born in a barn in Bethlehem. As one wrote, he said, in love and mercy, God searched after his fallen creatures with a question, where are you? This question proves two things, this writer went on to say. Number one, it proves that man is lost and that uh, God has come to seek us. It proves that man has sinned and God's grace is here to save us. God takes the initiative in salvation, demonstrating the very thing Satan got Eve to doubt, his love for them. But also notice with me that in chapter 3, each of the motifs given to us, be it that of death or toil or sweat or thorns, the tree, the struggle, or the seed, all were later traced to Christ. He is the other Adam who became the curse, who, uh, who sweat uh, great drops of blood in bitter agony, who wore a crown of thorns, who was hanged on a tree until he was dead and was placed in the dust of death. That's what Jesus has done for us. There are many who are running from God today. And in so they're running, often like Jonah, they think they're hiding from God. As Adam and Eve hid amongst the trees. But I'd like to remind them of this one fact. In Psalm 139.7, David said this, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? God knows exactly where where you are. God knows exactly what you're going through. And God is seeking after you even though you are running from Him and hiding from Him. You may be hiding from Him in your sin. You may be hiding from Him because you don't want to face the consequences of your actions. But in each and every case, God is chasing after you because He loves you. And He's capable of saving you if you will just stop running, turn to Him, and ask for His forgiveness. And if we will do so, we have the promise, though created in his image initially, that image was tarnished and distorted by the fall. But notice with me what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Because Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. And because of this, notice this with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the promise of the Christian life. And if someone desires that promise, all they need to do is turn to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and all that you have done. Father, I thank you that you came after us like a loving father would. And as we hear those words, Adam, where are you? Let us know, Lord, that you knew exactly where they were. You knew exactly what had happened. And yet you still came after them because you loved them. Even though creation has fallen, you still love us. For the Bible says so. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. Father, I thank you for that promise. I pray, Lord, that no matter what happens in 2024, that we would see here at Calvary many people coming to saving faith in you. 
Father, pursuing them like only you can, using us as your hands and feet to show and to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ, to allow them to hear truth in a world that is flooding them with lies. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would love those who are lost as much as you do, and that, Father, we would be uh, caring, and that we would be concerned and even burdened for them. Father, I don't know about you, but whatever may happen next, Lord, the one thing that I know for sure is that you are on the throne, and that ultimately, in the end, it will be your kingdom standing when all, else, when all others have fallen. So, Father, we just pray that you would just do a great work here for your glory and for your purposes. And we ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand for the closing song.